thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello and good evening. And thank you for joining us for the skeptic psychic. Now, American history has a lot of dark history. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about one of those dark uh, points in history, mainly the Salem witch trials. And with me, of course, is my wonderful, sweet, kind, considerate, brave, clean, uh, look, uh, very highly intelligent, beautiful sister of mine, Kimber Rodriguez. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. That's great. Well, I'm really looking forward to um, welcoming everybody tonight to our discussion. Being the month of October, um, we are going to be doing a special series of different episodes this month. And we want to call this, instead of just October, it's going to be called Spooktober. Um, if you joined us last week, we talked about, with our first episode, CISA Hotel. And this week, as you mentioned, we are looking into the dark history of the Salem witch trials to show that sometimes man can be even scarier than anything else that you might find out there. Um, as always, we do ask that you rate us on Apple podcast or, you know, you can, if you're viewing us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe, click the notification. And um, Rick's hand is showing us there how many stars we want if you rate us how many stars do we want rick uno dos tres cuatro cinco five 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 your hand was kind of like cut out there so we didn't see your your numbers but yes we do want five ratings but we will take whatever you give us we can learn from the good just as the bad we do read reviews on air so that's a good way that you can get a shout out Again, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe and hit the notifications so you know when we do our live podcasts. We also um, do read the comments there and rep reply as well. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. Rick, would you like to uh, start us out? Sure. Has there anything been like the uh, Salem Witch Trial in our world history? Certainly not in the Americas. The hunting and killing of witches goes back centuries, which witchcraft frenzy ripping through the Europeans in the early uh, 1300s to the end of the 1600s. Tens of thousands of supposedly witches, mostly women, were executed. But for a small colonial Massachusetts town, the winding down of the witch hunts in Europe seemed to almost fan the flames, where devil worshippers and women were given the power to harm others were thought to look throughout the region. In 1689, England and France were warring, not in Europe, but rather here in the colonies. Fighting tore up the colonial settlers in both the United States and Eastern Canada, and refugees began evacuating and moving south. 
Many stopped in Salem Village, which is now called Danvers, Massachusetts. Colonial Salem Town, 25 miles to the northwest, is now known as the city of Salem. Now, Danvers, which officially changed its name 63 years after the trials, was named after Settlers Danville, I'm sorry, Danvers Osborne, who was an outspoken proponent for King George II and the royal governor for the province of New York. However, Danvers, who arrived on October 6th, assumed office on October 10th, ended up eventually killing himself either late October the 11th or early October 12th. His body was found hanging in the garden of the house that he was staying in. Danvers was known for speaking up for the settlers in the English parliament, regulation for local trade, and a myriad of other local matters. He brought pride to the area, and his death was attributed to his decade-long depression over his wife's death while giving breath to their second son. I'm sorry, their second child. Danvers' death came a year after Salem Village had changed its name. The change was set to distance themselves between the horrific acts that were being committed. Now, before I go on, uh, we'd like to welcome our, uh, I guess we still, we're still calling us the Peanut Gallery. Uh, I do see that we have a couple of uh, wonderful people uh, here. Uh, Dragon's here. Uh, happy birthday to our... Uh, our new fan here. Uh, we hope you have many more and uh, evening to you as well. Yes, I'm just trying to see right quick because unfortunately the system doesn't show us who our fan uh, listener is. Um, so I'm trying to look that up. If you can post your name, please. So that way we can uh, wish you a priest. Happy birthday, by the way, Shelly. Shelly, your birthday is tomorrow. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I hope you have a wonderful birthday and I'll reach out to you with a formal birthday greeting um, tomorrow. Always love seeing you. Oh, and Autumn is with us also. Um, that's Shelly's daughter. Love her too. Um, and they are living ancestors of the Salem Witch Trials. So I'm so glad that y'all were able to join us tonight. So, so we're, we're, we're going uh, to be covering the trials themselves rather than take a little side road because uh, we do have a lot to cover tonight. Yes, refugees were swarming down into the Salem village, which put a strain on their resources. There already, exist, there already existed a rift between the wealthy families in the area who had ties to shipping and the local port and those who lived on what they could raise from the land. The fir area's first ordained minister, who was Reverend Samuel Paris, arrived in 1869 and was immediately disliked for his rigid ways and greedy nature. Puritan villages, villagers believed that all quarreling was the work of the devil. So it was hard when three short years later, the Reverend's daughter, Elizabeth Paris, 
who is nine, and his niece, Abigail Williams, age 11, started having fits. It was said just before the fits, the girls were telling their fortunes by the light of the fire. English superstition claimed that if you crack an egg into a glass of water, you will see its shadow into a shape. The shape predicted the profession of your future husband. Being Puritan, however, that the practice was forbidden. But the girls proceeded anyway. Apparently, the egg took sh uh, the shape of uh, the form of a coffin before the girls were struck dumb. Okay. Um, and it's Ray's birthday tomorrow, uh, not uh, Shelley's or Autumn's. Okay. Sorry happy about that, Ray. Happy birthday Ray. Yes, have a happy birthday. Sorry about the confusion there. Um, yeah, there's something about Facebook security that you have to add the app for Restream in order for your name to show up on the user's chat. Um, so if you like, you can always add that. Um, that is very weird. I'm not sure exactly why they're not sh um, they showed up last week, but this week they didn't. I know it's something with Facebook security, um, but I, I apologize for that. We are very glad that you are here with us this week, though. Um, now, as far as the girls with the egg, that's very interesting because I know the egg is used in other traditions as well. Um, I know like here locally, they use it to see if you've been cursed by the evil eye. Um, I've seen it used in healing um, as well. So it'd be interesting to maybe sometime down the road discuss the egg and how it, you know, works in different cultures. But anyway, after the girls were playing with this egg, they screamed and threw things, made strange sounds, barked like dogs. One also tried clawing into the fireplace while the other began screaming that the devil was after her. They contort, ugh, sorry, tongue-tied. <laughs> it says they contorted themselves. Sorry, that's my, my point. <laughs> they contorted themselves yes. in odd positions and threw themselves onto the floor. Thank you. Um, local, doctor said, <laughs> uh, local doctor did say it was due to supernatural forces. Um, I personally think it was just them wanting to get attention, but that's just my opinion. They got in trouble. Yes. A few they, weeks they were, later. They were playing with something they weren't supposed to be playing and... Uh, they had to think real quick. Yes. Um, the doctor did say this was due to supernatural forces. And then a few weeks later, another girl, Ann Putnam, age 11, began having similar issues. The town magistrate, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, now having gotten involved, pressured the girls to say who was affecting them with these conflictions. So now they've been caught and they have to say, oh, shoot. They believe us that this is going on. We better do something to cover our butts. And yeah, mm -hmm. let's start naming people. <laughs> I agree. The security stuff does stink, especially for those who who um, just want to enjoy, you know, things and not have to worry about other people's doing things. 
Yes, the egg in the water. That's uh, just a uh, old uh, wives' tale, but want to try it? Go ahead. Well, I know my mother-in-law uses it quite often when she gets headaches to find out if somebody's given her the evil eye. The girls under duress eventually blamed three women for their affliction. The Reverend's Caribbean slave Tituba, a homeless beggar named Sarah Good, and an elderly impoverished woman named Sarah Osborne. The women were hauled to Salem Town and interrogated for days. Osborne and Good both proclaimed their innocence. However, the slave girl confessed that the devil came to me and bid me to serve him. She described images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she signed the book and said there were several other witches in town that wanted to destroy the Puritans. She claimed that she and her two fellow prisoners rode on sticks and that two rats had told them to serve them. All three were promptly put back into Salem Town Jail. Though Tituba later, in recognition that she confessed her sins and her uh, life was spared the execution and was soon pardoned. Interesting. Um, yeah. However, this did cause the floodgates to open up over the next few months. Charges going up against Martha Corey, who was a local member of the Salem Village Church. This horrified the community because if good Martha Corey could be a witch, then anyone could be, and heaven forbid. More and more girls were having fits, claiming to see witches flying through the summer mist, and claiming to find puppets, which were little dolls made to represent a person for casting spells into. So I'm assuming that's like a um, like a voodoo doll. Possibly. Also, yes. Also, witch, in, witch familiars were being spotted as well as specters and spirits hovering in midair, demanding the girls to sign the devil's book. In total, 10 girls were affected, though 25-year-old Sarah Churchill and 18-year-old Mary Warren were both accusers and confessors by confessing to witchcraft allowed them both a pardon as long as they pointed to another witch. Huh. And Shelley did post that Umancy refers to the divination by eggs. Thank you for that, um, Shelley. I have to look into more on that. Um, I just want to make sure that I don't lose where we were at. Also, Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, was interviewed, and her hesitant answers were twisted into a confession against her mother. It was at this point that the deputy governor, Thomas Danforth, and his assistants began attending the hearings. Dozens of people from Salem and Massachusetts villages were hauled in for questioning. The governors ordered a special court and someone to, to determine and hear in order to decide the, the cases for the local counties. Um, the accused would have to speak for themselves as none were allowed the luxury of a lawyer. You know, that's really sad about Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter. Can, can, can you imagine being a child that young and you have somebody here 
you know, asking you all these questions and making you already, you're already nervous about being in front of all these people. And then they're asking you all these questions against your mother. And I mean, of course the little girl's got to be scared, but them to take that fear of the girl and twist it into a confession. Um, um, we do go into that actually as well, Autumn. Uh, so we'll go into that here shortly. That is a theory and I'll tell you my thoughts on that as well. But yeah, I just, I feel for Sarah's four-year-old daughter to be put in that situation. First person to be hauled in front of the special court was an older woman thought as a promiscuous as she'd been married three times and was a gossip. When questioned, Bridget Bishop uh, responded, I am innocent as a child unborn. It isn't known what other defense was given, but she was found guilty and July 10th, 1692, was the first person to be hanged. Five days later, a local respected minister named Cotton Mather wrote a letter imploring the court not to use spectral evidence or testimony about dreams and visions. The plea was ignored, and five people were sentenced and hung in July, five more in August, and eight in September. Cotton Mather's father, Increase Mather, who was the president of Harvard, also denounced the use of spectral evidence, saying, It is better that ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. The governor, William Phipps, whose own wife, Mary, was questioned for witchcraft, prohibited further arrests, released many of the accused witches, and dissolved the court of order and terminator on October 29th. The governor then replaced them with a superior court of judicature, sorry, <laughs> tongue tie there, which refused to allow spectral evidence and only ended up condemning three of the 56 defendants. The governor also ended up pardoning all those who had been imprisoned in May of 1693, but by then it was too late. 19 of the women had been hanged, a 70-year-old man was pressed to death with heavy stones. Several people had died in jail, and nearly 200 people had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. Two dogs were even hung, as children said they gave them the evil eye. Mm, poor puppies. How can a puppy give an evil eye? They're just so sweet and loving. I don't get that. Afterwards, many of those involved, including Judge Samuel Sewell, publicly confessed their error and guilt. January 14, 1697, the general court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching over the tragedy. In 1702, the court declared the trials as unlawful. In 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and goods names of those who had been accused and granted a 600-pound restitution to be paid to their heirs. It wasn't until more than 250 years later that the state actually gave a formal apology for the events in 1692. And for um, those of you math wizards, it's actually 1903. 
Oh, Autumn, you have an adorable little Kogi, Corgi. I can't picture him giving you the evil eye. I can imagine him wanting the chips, but not being evil. <laughs> yes. The circumstances surrounding the Salem witch trial continues to fascinate even today. Studies have been published, including one published in Science Magazine magazine in 1976 by a psychologist by the name of Lindia Carpella, who blames the accuser's affliction to a fungus called ergo, which is found in rye, wheat, and other cereal grasses. Toxicologists have been reported that ergo contaminated foods can cause muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. Ergo thrives in a warm, damp, which is plentiful as local rye was grown in the local swampy meadows. Deems as the most mass hysteria cases in colonial America, many historians believe the lasting effects of the trials have been great influences in the United States history. George Lincoln Burr has been quoted as stating that the Salem witch trial, which was the rock on which theocracy shattered, now, my opinion on the um, the rye being, you know, moldy and stuff and the Argo is it all started with these girls' testimonies and then it became a mass hysteria. So I personally don't believe it was the rye as more of, as I mentioned before, you know, these girls were doing something they shouldn't be doing. They got caught. They had to come up with some excuse so that they wouldn't be punished. Their lie just grew bigger and bigger as they were trying to cover their own butts. And, you know, man being as man can be, especially in those times, it was like, oh, well, these girls would never lie. So it must be something evil. And it just created this huge hysteria. Um, but that's just my opinion. It could have been ergo, but I highly doubt it personally. Well, again, the ergo, why weren't the... Uh... Why weren't the adults affected as much as the children were? Agreed. Um, now, a memorial had been considered for Gallows Hill back in 1892 in time for the 200th anniversary. However, the idea was scrapped. The monument would have been a 45-foot high stone lookout tower placed on top of the hill with bronze tablets containing the names of the martyrs attached. Supporters for the monument believe the memorial would helpfully instruct the thousands of annual visitors of the lessons to be learned from the delusions of the witch trials. Opponents, however, believe that the whole affair ought to be cased into, I'm sorry, cast into oblivion as too horrible to contemplate. You know, again, that's really sad because I don't believe that we should ignore history just because we don't like what happened. I've always been a believer of the quote, a history forgotten is doomed to repeat itself. And that those horrible histories need to be remembered so that we can remind ourselves how tragic it was and not to do those things again. But again, that, you know, that's my opinion. Um, and um, we have, it says, if it were the bread, I think it would have affected everyone, not just the kids unless it's a small amount that didn't contain enough to affect the adults. Um, that does make sense, Autumn, but still, I mean, the fact that it was just a few kids and not the entire town. Um, I have heard of other stories where 
there was um, the moldy rye did affect those. And it again, it seems like it affected everybody, not just a small select few. But again, you know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, they were also fears that there might offend some of the old families in the town whose ancestors had participated in the prosecution and executions of the witches. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne, I'm sure we all know who Hawthorne is, um, one of the greatest authors of American, of American literature. <laughs> um, he was a descendant of Judge Hawthorne, and he lamented to the fact that there was no memorial on the gallows in an 1835 essay that he entitled Allison... Alice Noan's appeal, and Rick's going to tell us a little bit about that essay. Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to quote exactly from it. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. And uh, Hawthorne's own words. At that season, to a distant spectator, the hill appears absolutely overlaid with gold or covered with a glory of sunshine, even beneath a clouded sky. But the curious wanderer on the hill will perceive that all the grass and everything that should nourish man or beast has been destroyed by this vile, inheritable weed. Its tuft roots make the soul their own and prevent nothing else to vegetate among them. So the physical curse may be said to have a blast at that spot where guilt and frenzy consummated the most excusable scene that our history blushes to record. For this was the field where the superstition won her darkest triumph. The high plains where our fathers set up their shame. To the mournful gaze of generations far remote. The dust of martyrs was beneath our feet. We stood on Gallow Hill. Yet, ere we left the hill, we could not but regret that there is nothing on this barren summit, no relic of old, no leathered stone of later days, to assist the imagination in peeling to the heart. We build the memorial column on the height which our fathers made sacred with their blood, poured out in a holy cause. And here, in dark, funeral stone, should rise another monument, sadly commemorative, of the errors of an earlier race, and not to be cast down while the human heart has own one infirmity that may result in crime. Yeah, you can definitely feel his um, passion and his anger towards, you know, that. And I agree, they definitely should have put something there. Um, Raymond, to answer your question, I have heard that also um, about tying them to a rock and putting them in the river to see if they float. Um, on that, I'm not sure if it is true or not. I do remember hearing about that in school, um, but I'm not sure exactly. Have you? Do you know any more about that, Rick? I know that was like that was one, of the, one of the ways you could actually tell if it, uh, if there was if you were a witch or not. Uh, basically, uh, if you sank, you are a witch. Uh, if you uh, no, I'm sorry. If you floated, you are a witch. If you think you were innocent. But by then it was too late for them to. Right. We go. Yeah. If they floated, the water rejects them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, now, the Salem City Council debated another memorial back in 1931, but decided against the $1,000 needed to build the project. Five years later, Thomas Gannon, who owned the hill, gave the city the deed to a strip of land to build the memorial on. They took the land that was deeded to them. However, they never built the monument. So, you know, to me, that's just really... Come on. I mean, oh, yeah, we'll take the land, but we're not going to do anything with it. How how messed up is that? <laughs> it wasn't until 300 years to the anniversary in 1992 that the city finally agreed and asked Nobel Peace Prize winner Eli Weissel, uh, who is a uh, – he was a uh, – prisoner of the concentration camps back in World War II uh, to dedicate a park and memorial to this tragedy. It consisted of 20 granite benches surrounded by a low stone wall. Each bench is engraved with the names of the 20 victims of the trials. Along the date of the execution, the stone slab in the entry to the memorial is inscribed with the victims' protest, which are taken directly from the court records, the inscriptions read, For now, my life lies in your hands. On my dying day, I am no witch. God knows I am innocent. O oh Lord, help me. I am wholly innocent of such wickedness. If I would confess, I should save my life. I do plead not guilty. Mm. The site also holds numerous black locust trees planted on the ground of the memorial, which is believed to be a type of tree that victims were hung from. The memorial park sits just next to the old Burying Point Cemetery, where Salem Witch Judge John Hawthorne is buried. It as well as many of the other Salem residents from that area, rather than on the Gallows Hill itself. I mean, just hearing those words, it just, it's so chilling and it just breaks my heart. Um, I agree that it would be hard to sink with all the petticoats that the women wore back then. Um, oh, they were actually stripped. Oh, that's... their clothes were torn off uh, uh, and then hung. Oh my goodness. That's. Oh, goodness. Um, it does turn out to be a good thing that they held out on the memorial. As in January of 2016, the University of Virginia's Gallo Hill Project teamed seven scholars determined that the site of execution was not actually the place that everyone thought it was. The local Tall Hill, thought to be where the witches were hung, had, to be call had been called Gallows Hills for ages. But the team instead found that a small outcrop closer to the center of town called Proctor's Ledge is the actual execution site, as it was the close proximity for the public to view the hangings. And it was a spectacle that drew in pretty much the entire village despite age. I totally agree, Autumn. Giles was the uh, gentleman that actually was the one that uh, 
his final words were more stone. Oh, goodness. Every time I hear Giles, I'm sorry, I think of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sorry, small tangent. <laughs> the site for the hanging was never officially named in the records, so the team went into personal journals and what court documents did uh, record in order to pinpoint the location. It was, wasn't such a shock, said Emerson Tad Baker, a history professor of Salem State University. In the early 1900s, historian Sidney Purley conducted his own research and settled on Proctor's Rock. Purley lacked technical proof, however, so the team researched and records for five years using court record descriptions, maps, ground penetrating radar, aerial photographers, and individual personal records. The ledger itself is a wooden city-owned area. I'm sorry, not ledger, but ledge is a wooded city-owned area that sits at Proctor and Pope Streets and has basically been described as a rocky ledge at the base of a hill. It sits in a residential area and the back of various homes all look into that area. The owners of which are not pleased with the attraction the area has had since the news of its location broke. The majority of the ledge itself is accessible but some consider it private property and should be treated with respect. Sorry, just letting that sink in a bit. Yes, I, I love Buffy. She's, um, I actually have friends who call me Buffy because I'm such a huge fan. And then there's anything to find, uh, there isn't anything to find there anyway. The bodies of the condemned were cut down and tossed into a crevice within the rock and had a little dirt tossed on top of them and then left to rot. It was considered taboo to touch a dead witch and family members would have to wait until the cover of darkness to sneak in and claim their family members remains and carry them off to be properly buried. No records exist of uh, what we've heard that says where the town inhabitants thought of the bodies disappearing in the night. But there had to be an element of understanding that the families would want to bury the dead as a last sign of respect. No one else would have certainly helped them with the task, though. I'm sure the people just thought, well, the devil's coming to take them, you know, and that's where the bodies were disappearing to. But as for the most convincing evidence that Proctor's Ledge was the real site of execution, there were a few lines of eyewitness, eyewitness testimonies in the August 19, 1692 records. Def Defendant Rebecca Earns, who had been on her way to the court in custody of guards, traveled along the Boston Road, which ran just below the execution site. When she appeared a few hours later at the Salem court for a pre preliminary examination, the magistrate asked her whether she had witnessed the execution that took place earlier that morning as she was passing by. She explained that she was at the house below the hill and that she saw some folks at the execution. Marilyn Roach from the research team determined that the house below the hill was most likely the McCarter House, which originally stood at 19 Boston Street, or one of its neighbors. 
professor named Benjamin Ray conducted research that pinpointed the McCarter House location and worked with geographic information system specialists. Chris Gist of the University of Virginia Scholars Lab uh, determined that if the personnel was standing at the site of, of the McCarter House, they would clearly be able to see the top of Proctor's Ledge. Gallows Hill didn't work for several reasons. Eight victims were hanged on September 22nd, being driven by a cart to the site of their execution. It wouldn't have been possible to get a cart loaded with eight victims up a steep and rocky slope which lacked a road. Um, that's a very good question, uh, Autumn, if they used um, sonar or search the crevices to find bodies um, to see if there was any unmarked graves. Uh, I'm not sure on that. That would be something interesting to to research and to look up. Um, I'll see if, if we don't cover it here. I'll see if we can find any other information and share that. As executioners were, I'm sorry, as executions were public events, while Gallows Hill was certainly prominent, it would have been a difficult hike to get to the top for everyone who else would have attended. Also, there is no word in the records of a gallow being built, and ground penetrating radar there indicated there was only a few small cracks in the ledge that was soil is less than three inches deep. I'm sorry, three feet deep, which would not have been deep enough to drop the body. Family oral traditions tell a victim's families coming in for the night to collect the remains, one stating he did so as a youth in order to bury his mother. The young man quietly paddled his boat from his family pond where it was intersected with the local river. Under the dead of night, he managed to get to the ledge unseen and recover his mother's body. Terrified the entire time that he would be heard and killed for touching the body of the deceased, which would supposedly be penalized with death as he just come in contact with the devil's own and could be claimed as his. The devil's being claimed. This definitely supports that Proctor's Ledge was the execution site, as the river did originally run on that spot years ago, but since has been redirected. There's never been a record of any waterway close to Gallows Hill. So um, who all was part of this tragedy? The main accusers were afflicted or include, I'm sorry, the main accusers or afflicted include Elizabeth Booth, who at 16 was accused of being a witch, and then at 18 accused at least 10 others of witchcraft. Elizabeth Hubbard, 18, who was orphaned and living with her uncle, who was local physician, William Griggs. Mercy Lewis, a former refugee to the area and a 17-year-old servant of Thomas Putnam. Betty Paris, an 11-year-old girl and daughter to the Reverend Samuel Paris. Anne Putnam, Jr., the daughter of Thomas and Anne Putman. Mary Warren, 18 years old and servant for the Proctors. Abigail Williams, the 11 or 12 year old cousin of Betty Paris. Other accusers, including accused witches who confessed and outed others were Benjamin Abbott, a local carpenter who accused Martha Carrier of witchcraft 
shaming, claiming that she caused his foot to swell and that his foot healed shortly after her arrest. Sarah Biller, a 36-year-old who was accused of witchcraft and pointed to the finger against 15 others. Deliverance Dane, whose father-in-law was the Reverend Francis Dane. Dane was outspoken against the trials and possibly in retribution, both his daughters, Abigail Faulkner and Elizabeth Johnson, were also accused. Most of Deliverance's records have been lost, but she has been quoted as saying she and some other witches had brought her father-in-law, Spectre, along with them to torment the afflicted. Lucky for him, Deliverance accusations were ignored and the referent was not arrested. Deliverance, however, for her confession, escaped the news. Thomas Putnam was a significant accuser in the trials. His father, Lieutenant Thomas Putnam Sr., was one of Salem's wealthiest residents, and Thomas was excluded from the majority of inheritance by both his father and father-in-law. He and his daughter issued accusations against many members of his half-brother's family, as his half-brother inherited the, the estates. Putnam himself, if responsible for accusing 43 people while his daughter accused 62. Samuel Preston Sr. accused a woman named Martha Carrier saying that about two years since I had came, I'm sorry, since I had some difference with a carrier, which also happened several times before and soon after I lost a cow in a strange manner, being cast upon her with her heels up in a firm ground when she was very lusty is being June. Within about a month after this, he said that Martha and I had some differences again, at which time she told me I had lost a cow lately and it would not or should not be long before I should lose another, which accordingly came to pass. For I had a cow that was well kept with English hay and I could not perceive that she ailed anything and yet she pined and quickly lay down as if she were asleep and died. Martha the accused was hung for a witch on August 19th of 1962. Now that could be a, you know, a case where maybe the, the hay had gone bad or something, and that's how the cows died. That could um, be ergo, uh, ergo. Ergo, it could be ergo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying the, the, uh, the algae. Yes, I know. <laughs> Ergo could be ergo. Exactly. Yes. So. Let us sink in. We cannot uh, forget, uh, forgive. Forget those who had died while imprisoning before they were hanged. Ann Fuster, age 75. Ann was claimed to have caused a fever in a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. When two of the afflicted girls were brought into Ann's village of Andover, they fell into fits inside of her. Ann's daughter, Mary Foster Lacey, and her uh, granddaughter, Mary Lacey Kemp, were accused of witchcraft themselves. Anne resisted confessing despite being tortured, but her resolve broke 
when her daughter accused Anne of the crime in order to save herself and the granddaughter. At that point, Anne confessed, likely to protect both of the younger women. Anne died in Salem jail of December 3rd, 1692, have already been in prison for 21 weeks before her trial ended. Sarah Osborne died in custody on May 10th, 1692. She had been accused by young Betty Paris with an unknown illness. Betty also claimed Osborne pinched her and poked her with knitting needles. Osborne had not attended church for nearly three years due to her own personal long illness and was dealing with legal issues with the Putnam family regarding a 118-acre farm. It's been thought that the accusers by Betty Paris were suggested by the Putnams to turn legal matters into their favor. Sarah was incarcerated months before her death and died at the age of 49. Mm, that is true. Like um, Autumn was saying, it could be ketosis, ADL, McFever, maybe even um, mad cow disease. Anything could be going on with the cows to make, cause them to become sick. And I have heard, speaking of um, this here with Sarah Osborne, um, there were a few occasions where people were wanted your land. So it's like, well, we're going to continue as a witch so we can get your land. The condemned hung as witches on Proctor's ledge will, will be covered by the date of execution. Only one person was killed on June 10th of 1692, which was Bridget Bishop at the age of 59. Her spectral shape would pinch, choke, and bite the girls. Others stated she could harm them just by glancing at them. A woman claimed that Bishop's apparition tore her coat. Samuel Shattuck claimed she and he, I'm sorry, that she had asked him to dye a piece of lace, which was too small to be used for anything other than a poppet. It could have been just a doll dress for her kids. I mean, you never yeah. know, grandkids. Um, however, he also claimed that she bewitched his child and struck his son with a spade. Maybe the kid was doing something, the spade fell over, and it's like, oh, that had to be her. You mm -hmm. know, there's no way that could have fallen over. After Samuel's claim, John and William Bly, father and son, testified about finding poppets in her house, while not stating why they had been in her home to begin with. They also claimed that their cat was bewitched or poisoned after a dispute with Bishop. Again, these could have been dolls for her kid or grandkids. You never know. However, Richard Coman also accused her of taking hold of their throats and ripping, or ripping he and his wife's from their bed. Even Bishop's own husband claimed that she had praised the devil. Hmm. Five were killed uh, on July 19th, 1692. Sarah Good, who had just turned 39, was accused of biting and pinching young girls and sconing, scorning them instead of feeding, leading them towards a path of salvation. Her husband, who disliked how she met her, uh, his expectations of a wife, claimed he had feared she was a witch due to her bad carriage to him. And she challenged Puritan values. She was accused of possessing two women. One of the so-called afflicted girls claimed Sarah had attacked her with a knife and produced a piece of it, saying it had broken off when she fought Sarah off. 
But a young townsman then stood and said that the piece had broken off of his own knife the day before. With the girl as witness said she had been pocketed the broken piece. The girl simply stayed, scolded and for exaggeration, but her words were still taken as truth. I agree um, with what Raymond says. It could have been, you know, they were either didn't like them or they were jealous of them. Maybe the men had made a pass at the woman and the woman declined his, his advances. And so he's like, oh, well, I'm going to say she's a witch because she scorned me. There was also Rebecca Nurse that was age 71. Edward and John Putnam accused Nurse of witchcraft, though much of the community spoke on her behalf due to her kind and forgiving nature. Nurse was actually found not guilty by the jury, but the Putnams and the affected girls gave an outcry. The jury asked if they could deliberate again, and Nurse was then questioned about her relationship with fellow accused witch Deliverance Hobbs as she had claimed Deliverance was one of her own company. Being hard of hearing at her age, Nurse later claimed that the comment was made as she was referring to the women as a fellow accused person, not stating that they had both signed a pact with the devil. It didn't matter the reasoning behind her answer, as the jury swiftly came back and claimed that she was definitely guilty. Fourteen years later, in 1706, accuser Ann Putnam Jr. gave a public church confession when she joined the Salem Village Congregation. In it, she admitted to a role against Rebecca and her two sisters, Mary Easty and Sarah Coyle. She said, I desire to be humble before God for the sad and humbling providence that befell my father's family in the year around about 92, that I, being in my childhood, should, by some providence of God, be made an instrument for the accusing of several persons of egregious crime, whereby their lives were taken from them, whom now I shall grant just grounds and good reason to believe that they were innocent, and that they were a great delusion of Satan, that decreed me that this sad time whereby I justly fear I have been instrument with others, though ignorantly and unwillingly to bring upon myself and this land guilt of innocent blood, though what have been said or done by me against any person, I can truly and uprightly say before God on mine. I did not, nor out of anger, malice or ill will to any person, for I have no such thing against one of them. But when I did was ignorantly being devalued by Satan. And I particularly, as I was the chief instrument in accusing good wife Nurse and her two sisters, I desire to lie in dust and be humbled for it, in that I was the cause with others, if so sad a calamity to them and their families for which I caused desire to lie in the dust and earnestly beg for forgiveness of God and for all those unto whom I have given just cause of sorrow and offense, whose relations were taken away of the accused. Nurse, uh, 
Nurse's family accepted Anne's apology and reconciled with her. However, they never gave, forgave Samuel Paris, the village minister with whom they had personally blamed for the bereavement. They did not rest until uh, Sam, uh, Samuel Paris was removed from his office in 1697. Um, in answer to Autumn, I have actually never seen The Handmaid's Tale. I just kind of finally just figured out what it's about recently because I know it's been in the news a lot. Um, but it is interesting that um, Commander Putnam is a high commander on the show. And, you know, we talk about Putnam here with the accused. So I wonder if that was done intentionally. Um, we now move on to Elizabeth Howe, age 45. And she was primarily accused by the Pearly family, whose 10-year-old daughter complained of being pricked by pins. In her parents' accusations, they quoted their daughter saying, I could never afflict a dog as good how afflicts me. Her parents didn't believe her at first until doctors told them that their daughter was under the influence of an evil hand. Her condition to worsen, her condition continued to worsen for two or three years until she pinned away to skin and bones and ended her sorrowful life. It didn't help that her family cow suddenly became crazed, ran into the pond and drowned itself right after they managed to keep Elizabeth out of their church. Mercy Lewis, Mary Walcott and Ann Putman Jr. Abigail Williams and Mary Warren all claimed to be afflicted, though Mary Warren later recanted claiming she and the other girls were all lying. So that goes back to my theory that they were all doing it for attention. The afflicted girls turned on Mary and accused her of being a witch. And in the end, Mary saved her own life by switching sides again and accusing her employer, John Proctor, and his wife of certain deeds, though she never outright called them witch or wizard. During the trial, when asked how she pleaded to the charges made against her, Emily boldly responded, if it was the last moment I was to live, God knows I am innocent of anything of this nature. Um, as for the girl who, you know, seemed to be getting sicker and sicker, I'm wondering if maybe she maybe suffered from like depression or anorexia. So she stopped eating. Um, that could be why she wasted away. Um, as far as being pricked by pins, um, Part of me wonders if she was doing it to herself, kind of self-harming, or maybe her parents were doing it. Um, very interesting how they either didn't understand a mental illness or how they tried to cover up a, um, a some other type of abuse. That's just my thoughts on it. Or a different type of sickness. Um. I do also, I'm sure that the descendants of the accusers do regret what their ancestors did. If they're any, you know, good peace of mind people these days, I'm sure that they definitely do regret that. Um, so is any uh, idea? Basically, back, uh, back in the, the old days, any uh, element that the doctor could not uh, define uh, would be considered witchcraft uh, by the doctor, Autumn. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So. They didn't understand mental illness the way we do now. So they were like, oh, they must be afflicted by witchcraft or they're taking place in some kind of witchcraft and or they're possessed. <laughs> move on to Susan Martin, age 70 or 71, who was a pious woman who was known to quote the Bible freely. Susanna was accused by Joseph and Jarvis Ring of attempting to recruit them into witchcraft, as well as John Allen of nearby Salisbury, who claimed he she switched his oxen and drove them into a nearby river where they later drowned. During her trial, the afflicted girls put on a show as soon as she walked into space. Mercy had fits. The magistrate then asked, Do you know this woman? Abigail answered, it is Goody Barton. She has hurt me often. The others, due to their fits, and were able to answer, but Mercy pointed at her and and threw her a glove. Susanna laughed. The magistrate demanded to know why she laughed at. Susanna replied, Why, I may at such folly. The magistrate asked, Is this folly, the hurt of persons? Susanna answered, I have never hurt man woman or child mercy she had hurt me in great many things and pulls me down to which susanna laughs again it didn't help her case susanna was also told twice to have physical examinations for witches tit or physical protrusions which might give milk from to a familiar no such deformities were found but it was noted that in the morning her nipples were full as if milk would come. By late afternoons, her breasts were slack as if milk had already been given to someone or something. Authorities considered this to be an indication she was being visited by a familiar and was clear evidence of her guilt. Hey, one second. Uh, then this is again why we were, uh, this is why we were. We're going to go ahead and it's getting a little bit too dark here. So let's bump ahead to, you know, just a little yeah. bit more women here. <laughs> Sadly, there were several other deaths. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, move on, you know, not, uh, not downplaying what happened to those people. And I'll include these notes in our, um, show notes on the website if you do want to read through the other deaths. Um, but I do want to go ahead and say that modern day Salem does draw an average of million visitors a year, especially during the Halloween season, including ghost tours, ghost tours, tarot readings, and visits to shops set up by openly admitted people who are modern witches. Souvenir shops saw everything like documents for each of the victims with all it's known about their lives and deaths. Books abound in a variety of shops, as well as tarot cards, crystals, signboards, offer lessons in how to practice witchcraft in real life. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Shirts, keychains, mugs, and pins can be purchased, as well as a variety of themed sweet treats and lists of herbs and their various uses in the witchcraft. Known today as the Witch City, Salem's tourism trade brings more than a hundred million dollars in tourism. Yes, and there's also a historical museum which contains actual documents from the time, as well as the wax museum, 
and a museum based on the witch's dungeon where the victims were held before the executions. John Turner and his wife Elizabeth Robinson Turner built a house on the harbor that has since become a historical landmark. Nathaniel Hawthorne's 1851 novel, House of the Seven Gables, was set in this home. It is now a popular destination stop for those who haven't heard of this book. It's a study of hereditary sin based on the legend of a curse pronounced on Hawthorne's own family by a woman condemned to death during the trials. The Witch House, which is more the home of Judge Jonathan Corwin, is also a tourist spot. And you can also visit sites from the Hocus Pocus films. Um, the Sanderson Sisters Cottage is located in the Salem Pioneer Village, which dates back to 1930, and also contains dugouts, wigwams, thatched roof cottages, medicinal gardens, and a blacksmith shop. It is recognized as the first living history museum in the United States. Also, if you've seen the Hocus Pocus movie, Max and Danny's house at 100, I'm sorry, at 10 Ocean Avenue still stands and looks very much the same with his distinctive copula Allison's house. The Ropes Mansion was only filmed from the outside, but its grounds are open all year round from dusk till dawn. Also, the old town hall where Winifred sang, I put a spell on you, is still the same. The oldest surviving municipal structure in the town is still a public hall and hosts farmer's markets, weddings, parties, fundraisers, and more. But then, of course, you're looking for those spooky spots. That's why you're here, right? The Salem Jail, built in 1813 and operating until 1991, this old building was built on the top of the same side as the dungeon where witches were once held. Prisoners were held in horrible conditions with dirt floor, lice-ridden bedding, raw sewage everywhere, and freezing winter conditions. These negative energies have been accumulating here and have led to rumors of apparition, cold spots, and poltergeist activities. It's a popular spot on the ghost tours, as four of the accused witchcraft have died here while being in prison. Proctor's Ledge has been known for its dark energy, no doubt from all the deaths located atop of it, as well as the bodies being callously tossed into the crevice near the valleys. The old Burying Point Cemetery is home to many different spirits. Most haunting is the hanging judge himself, John Hawthorne. He has often been caught on film as a shadowy figure, handing around his 300-year-old grave. And this is an interesting uh, note someone posted that Nathaniel Hawthorne added the W to his name to distance himself. Um, that's really interesting. I was unaware of that. Thank you for sharing. Um, says it, um, Hawthorne was later to wonder whether the decline of his family's prosperity and prominence of the 18th century, while other Salem families were growing wealthy from the lucrative shipping trade might not be retribution for this act and for the role of the Williamson John as one of the three judges in the Salem witchcraft trials in 1692. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you, Shelley. Uh, uh, that's very interesting information. 
I agree that it is very sad and wrong that this all happened. And I also am glad that I didn't live in that time. I don't think I, I probably would have been called a witch and, and killed at that time as well. <laughs> I'm sure most of us here would, unfortunately, which is sad. Right. Um, I want to go ahead and close this uh, and let you know that by 1993, only 11 victims had been exonerated. However, by this year, all but 22-year-old Elizabeth Johnson have already been cleared, which didn't seem fair as a group of middle school students from North Andover and their teacher, Carrie LaPierre, gave themselves a unique civics lesson. The class researched document and learned about Elizabeth and the accusations against her. Together, they drafted the bill to acknowledge her conviction to be unjust. It took a year and a half, but working together with state senator, the bill was finally signed into law, and Elizabeth, the last of the witch trial accused, was finally declared of the conviction against her. 330 years after her trial, and recognized as another victim of the popular hysteria and unjust proceedings. That's about time. Yes, um, there are a couple more hauntings. Um, I can go ahead and include that in the, um, in the show notes as well. Um, Shelly uh, did mention, she messaged me on this yesterday, and I didn't want to share it without um, her approval, but I'm glad that Autumn's sharing it, that they are ancestors of Mary Parker, who was hung as a witch. Um, her family, family fled the area in fear of being accused, um, and it's how they ended up in Long Island and where they are now. Thank you for sharing that. That's very um, interesting information, Autumn. Um, Yes, and in 1986, Wicca was acknowledged as a legit religion. Um, I, you know, I believe, as you all know, I believe in respecting everyone's religions, even if they're different from mine. Um, I do find Wicca very fascinating. Um, so, yeah, it, it is now a, a acknowledged as a form of religion, and those who do practice are no longer in fear of being condemned for it. Um, but as I mentioned, there is a couple more hauntings <laughs> ancestors of the witches that weren't caught there you go mm -hmm. maybe <laughs> but there are a few um other hauntings so again those will be in our show notes and um next week we will go into a ghoul uh, continue our ghoulish and ghost filled month of spooktober and we're going to be covering uh, death omens um so we'll be talking about like abraham lincoln and a few other omens that are out there the banshee so we ask that y'all tune in for that and that'll be on sunday october 16th um again any closing thoughts rick uh this was a very dark and sad thing and you need you to need sign to... your posts how okay. do you mean sign your posts <laughs> You know, as we like to cl uh, cleanse our palate of uh, something dark and dangerous. Yes. Uh, um, I, I, do I do also want to uh, acknowledge uh, two people who uh, have died this week. Uh, Loretta Lynn and one of my favorite comedian uh, humorists, uh, Goddess of Love, 
Judy Tenuta uh, uh, died uh, this week uh, of uh, an ongoing stage four cancer. She was 72 mm. years old. So, yes, yeah, so sorry for their for the loss. Uh, my condolences to their family. May they rest in peace. Um, and we <laughs> we do um, again. We do ask that people. Uh, like us and subscribe on YouTube. Um, I am going to post this also on the Apple podcast as well as the one from last week. So if you want to, if you missed anything or you'd rather listen to it while you're driving or cleaning, whatever, you can listen to the replay through there. We do ask that um, you rate us on Apple podcasts. And as Rick said, we like how many stars? One, two, three, Four, five stars are to be five stars. Five, five stars. <laughs> so, yes, and if you do rate us, uh, please leave a review. We will read your reviews on air. And if you have any questions or comments, you can always email us at info at skepticpsychic.com. Um, We're always, not- always here at the Facebook. Uh, we, do, uh, po- we do post here uh, comments. Photos, memes, yes. anything that uh, uh, yes. we like to see. <laughs> yes, Autumn, we are also on Spotify. Um, there's, uh, We are a little behind. I, I apologize. We are a little behind on the episodes being added to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, but I am looking to get those caught up in the next few weeks. Um, but you can find us on Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, um, Amazon, Uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found and um, if you're not a member of our skeptic psychic Facebook group we do welcome you to join us we have a lot of fun over there please join us we like you please it's a safe place where you can ask questions post memes and just hang out with us and anything else before we close out tonight Uh, We love you and unpleasant nightmares. (laughs) Sweet dreams, everybody. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night.